Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Booze, Booms and Busts. Now we haven't actually been here for a little while. It's been, uh, we've had one week off. This was not actually due to holiday reasons at all. This was actually due to a delivery issue with some of the beer. However, Sam and myself are back uh, this week to discuss, of course, market events while reviewing uh, beer. And we've got some pretty interesting ones to have today that will have to go at a slightly accelerated rate than normal. But uh, of course, I am, as ever, Boris Yoshan. I'm joined by Sam Valkyrie. Sam, how are you getting on at the moment? I am good. I am, like you say, we unfortunately had to take a week off due to some delivery issues with a, uh, a, a, a beer provider that we've uh, previously used in the past that I shan't be using again out of respect for them and their refunding of my money i won't name them won't name names name names i won't name names so uh nonetheless we've got we've got some uh we've got the beers in stock in the fridge couple to go looking forward to a drink because i don't know i feel like i need it this week it hasn't been overly stressful but i'm ready for a couple of beers i'm not gonna lie yeah in terms of uh, market events that you've watched this week um also, the one thing that you've been looking at, because it's been there's been quite a lot of volatility there, uh, in pr- mm. pr- pr- pretty much all uh, global stocks for for uh, for sure. Not just uh, not just American ones, not just UK ones, all across the board. Seen some pretty some pretty brutal moves, um, and of course, uh, the last episode we did was on Nikola, and in which you spoke of the uh, the Hindenburg report, which was talking about how the whole company was a gigantic fraud. And now the CEO has left. So, uh, what do you think is going on there? Do you think they had they had pay dirt on him? You think that was uh, they blew blew the cover on his fraud, and uh, he's just hiding away in shame now? I mean, I, I can see this turning into a Netflix documentary within a matter of weeks. It's, it's those are a dime a dozen, though, man. <laughs> exactly. If we want, actually, do you know what? If we want to talk about busts and and, and bubbles and uh, booms, and there was, there's definitely a boom in Netflix documentaries about companies, and there's so many of them that there's got to be a bust at some point. Netflix are going to say, you know what? That's enough because no one's watching this one-sided biased garbage anymore. Um, if one of but, us, if one of us flips out on this podcast, then we'll probably get a Netflix documentary made about the podcast. It'd probably be great publicity. Yeah, that might be a good idea. Just someone, one of us, bugs out and and starts, you know, just literally spontaneously explodes. Yeah, just uh, we could call it the the exploding podcast, the exploding podcaster. What would be the um, name of the documentary though? Uh, um, busted, uh, boomed, boomed, busted. <laughs> <laughs> it just have to be beers booms and exploded or something like that um well i can't even remember what i was talking about oh nicola that's right yeah trevor milton gone it's like was it he was he was when the when the report first came out i can't remember if this was you that i was talking to or that mentioned this the other day or if it was one of our other colleagues kit winder it was one of you two i think and it was saying that when the hindenburg report first came out it was like milton was like oh We'll defend and back the company. We'll stand by the company to the very end. You know, we won't, we won't back down from these accusations. Lawyers are being prepared as we speak. And then within like, uh, I think it was 11 days, uh, he was dropped as CEO and executive chairman or whatever. Gone from the company. They don't want, pretty much don't want anything to do with him. His Twitter account has now been deleted 
there was even a, a rumor or talk that he'd been arrested. I haven't followed that up, yeah, uh, but uh, that, that's, you know, so, uh, but do you know what's astonishing with all of this is that thus far, uh, Nicola is still actively trading on the stock market. No trading halts, no suspension. Uh, I think the SEC is supposed to be investigating them still. The stock is still trading and the company has a market cap of about $7.3 billion, uh, which is about twice the value of the SPAC, uh, the special purpose acquisition company that, that, that was you know, in existence before they reversed, did the reverse merger with Nikola. So I don't know that there's people that are saying that the GM deal that, that sort of pumped them before the Hindenburg report was such that GM have these favorable terms now where they can basically exit at any point or they can basically absorb all of Nikola's branding and goodwill. I, I hazard to say IP, but according to, you know, the Hindenburg report and everything else that seems to be being said about Nikola at the moment, there's no IP to even absorb because the GM deal was to, for GM to supply batteries, manufacturing, build the things. So I think Nikola literally just sold them a name. Um, so I don't know, man, it's, 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 it's the, the thing that, that astounds me more than anything is that, this this literally could look like it's going to turn out to be in just vaporware and we're still talking about a 7.3 billion dollar company that's actually up 1.16% today <laughs> that's the thing so the the stock's still trading but is it for sure i mean obviously the ex ceo exit shows that something's up but is it yeah, for that's, sure that's not good but yeah it, it, there's no crime that he's not you know they've not actually uh, you know, there's not an actual investigation going on. There's not, no, no charges have been made. I'm guessing that's why there's no, uh, there's no action on the stock itself, right? Yeah. So look, I'm really, um, I don't, I don't get the US markets. Like if this was, if this was on the Australian market, the, the Australian stock exchange is, is an overseeing body of, um, of, of, of the market, of the major market in Australia. There would have been a trading halt and a suspension in the in the stock, out of you know best practices and 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 a, you know a credible functional market, you would think that you would pause trading until you know some of this stuff just got settled, um, and that tends to happen in I know in the Aussie market you know that that stocks get suspended or put into trading halts on you know some of this sort of stuff all the time to take around, take away a lot of the volatility. So for instance. As soon as the Hindenburg report came out, they they could have suspended the stock from trading the very next day. So um, it, it, it it would have given the company a chance to either completely disprove it, um, or for basically to help some, somewhat protect investors as well from the capitulation that would and should ensue if it's an absolute fraud. So the the weird thing with the US is they're just like they just let stocks trade through all kinds of crap and. Uh, and, and at, at the end of the day, it can stitch up a lot of investors, you know, because the fact that it's still trading would indicate to people that, in fact, it's probably not a giant fraud, but there's nothing to prove that they haven't been lying. Likewise, there's nothing to prove that they have either. So I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird sort of catch 22, which I'm not quite sure 
the best way that would approach. But the US markets just don't really seem to care about that sort of stuff. I think I know was it Theranos as well, um, and was was just kept kept going until you know basically she was proven to be an absolute fraud as well. So yeah, but well, I mean that one's a definite. That one is uh, (laughs) big time. Managed to she managed to get Kissinger on board with that with that company. Oh, I mean, really elaborate stuff. Uh, but anyway, we should probably get on to the, uh, the, the first beer that we're drinking here, which is uh, Farmhouse Lager by Burning Sky. We have had a few beers from Burning Sky before. Uh, this label has a load of chicks in a field uh, drinking lager outside. I think there's one fellow there, uh, or maybe two fellows there, uh, but it's mostly chicks drinking beer with rakes and sitting on hay bales. And this is a virtual and spiritual collaboration with Black Isle Brewery a smelt-heavy rustic farmhouse lager using tradional methods and ingredients. I do like a tradional method. I just Um, noticed that too. (laughs) Tradional. Nothing like a a glaring typo on your your label when you're putting out something in in public. Tradional methods. I mean, I, I feel bad for pointing it out, to be honest with you, but, you know, it is. It is <laughs> Considering we write for a living, I think it's only fair that we point that out. Yeah. I mean, how does that get past quality control? <laughs> I guess they need a sub-editor over there. Well, anyway, I mean, this is 4.8%, <laughs> 440 mil, and Burning Sky, uh, which is in Furley, if that's how it's pronounced, um, in the UK. I think yeah, what do you make of this me? before? Where is Philly? But uh, look, I'm I'm a bit bemused by the description of a virtual and spiritual collaboration. Are they yeah, saying, like, like, by saying virtual, are they saying like an actual, or are they saying like a pretend collaboration? If if, if it's spiritual as well, then it must be purely imaginative, right? I mean, so this is an imaginative collaboration. Does that mean the Black Isle Brewery is an imaginative brewery? I don't know. It's a bit weird. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling. It's like, uh, I remember the first Burning Sky I had and, and I was like, the Burning Sky Artisan Brewers and Blenders. And I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, if you want to call yourself that, that's fine. Better be good beer. And, and now they've gone on with some interesting marketing spill. Look, I'm sure they're great people and they, you know, they, they have made some great beers. But um, maybe they should look at, at, at getting in somebody else to do their labels. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I, I like a good lager. I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm an, I'm an Aussie guy that, you know, tends to like a very cold lager. Um, because, you know, in summer, that's just all you, you, you just gag for cold lagers when it's Christmas time and 45 degrees. Um, back in Australia, so I, I like to think uh, I can spot a decent one, and I'm pretty, pretty happy with this so far. It's uh, a little earthy uh, for me, but uh, it's it's easy to drink, nice and crisp, because um, I guess mine is pretty cold. Um, but first impressions are pretty good. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm thinking it's pretty pretty nice as as loggers go. Not a huge logger guy, but this is. You know, this is a traditional. This is traditional. Uh, they've added some. They've got some nice. Uh, I like it. I do like it when you get sediment at the bottom. It just yeah. gives it a bit more kick. I've not really had that with a lager before, so that's quite it. Quite interesting. Yeah, I find that pretty new as well. I think that must be part of the traditional uh, methods. Yeah, though <laughs> those good old-fashioned traditional methods. <laughs> now, uh, in terms of uh, 
other market news. Okay, well, do, should we have like a bet or something on whether or not the Nicholas CEO is going to go to jail? We should actually. Let's. Shred. Well, no, Come hang on. on. What should we do, do, should we have a bet on whether he goes to jail, or should we have a bet on whether the company fails? Ah, I don't think the company's going to fail because it's got. Um, I, I well, it depends what happens to the CEO. So if the CEO gets uh, taken to the cleaners by the state and they properly put him in jail for fraud. Yeah. Like, I have no idea if it's fraud or if it's not. But if, it, if he doesn't get wrecked, then the, uh, then the brand name, and if there was any IP, is still pretty sexy. So somebody's yeah. going to want to acquire it. So any... Well, it'd be GM, right? So I think the yeah. thing is, is does Nicola survive on their own or do they... No, it gets bought out. It gets bought out. X get bought out. If the CEO does go to jail and it completely wrecks the brand, it becomes as good as Enron. It's like the Enron car. Nobody's going to want it. And that's the end of the company. Yeah. And the name. And then the name stinks just as bad. All right. So let's, all right, let's go on the jail thing then. (laughs) Do you think I, because I've not, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and think that this is, Maybe some shady stuff happened, but or maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe he just had, I don't know, maybe, maybe he just wanted to retire with his billions because he suddenly made it. But I mean, there's something he did, he did according to the Hindenburg report, he did appoint his brother as like the head of hydrogen research or something, head of hydrogen development, who's not held a scientific degree in yeah. anything before. Which, yeah. um, again, look, ah, oh, I, I, I really can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> he's definitely gone on to bigger and better things um i you know that that reeks as well so i mean i do i think there's going to be some fraud charges leveled at him i, I think there is right. and and will, i think if, if so yeah, i was I mean, gonna say if if, if they're actually gonna if, if charges come then i they'll have the evidence to to lock him up so i'm gonna say yes well hang on well well, if it's a bet yes, and we both we both think the same thing, what happens in that situation? No, no, no. I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's not going to go to jail. That's my, my bet is he will not go to jail. Could be that it's because he's got too much money that he's not going to go to jail. Just hire some really good lawyers or he pulls... Imagine if he pulls a McAfee. That would be cool, right? Just disappears. That, that would be goes amazing. To like Bermuda, oh. buys a private army... Uh, starts assassinating his neighbors on the beach what a twist in the documentary the netflix documentary that would be i mean do you know what this and this might be so i was uh i I went down the rabbit hole the other day of um uh, what are they called the the, the, uh, args args that's it the alternative reality games now have you have you heard of these Yes, I have. I have indeed. Yeah, I've not watched any of the documentaries or read any of the materials, but I am familiar with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so for people that don't know, alternative reality games are real-life games that you that play out in the real world, but are sort of typically loosely based on the release of something like a video game. Um, we may have talked about these previously. I can't remember. Oh, yeah, We're yeah. 15 episodes in and I lose track sometimes. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's early onset of dementia or just the, too many beers. Um, but ARGs, I went down the rabbit hole and I was, it's a fascinating thing um, because somebody posed the question uh, as to whether um, the QAnon uh, 
uh, sort of conspiracy group was actually just a massive ARG playing out uh, in front of our very eyes. And I wonder if, you know, if this whole Nicola uh, <laughs> adventure that every the, the, the sort of unwinding at the moment is actually just a big ploy to 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 deliver one of the greatest Netflix documentaries of all time, kind of like a a documentary seated inside an ARG, seated inside of real life. Right. So this is um, actually an elaborate plot from Netflix to get yeah. more eyeballs on its documentaries. Yeah. yeah. So they they yeah. the guys to Trevor Milton, Big Trev, is He's actually an just an actor. <laughs> yeah. He was scouted by Netflix years ago, and they they you'll find that. You know, Netflix through shell companies in Bermuda yep. actually funded all of this development in the Nicola Badger and everything. It yep. was actually, yeah, I mean, I, I can believe it. But in terms of uh, alternative reality games, for, for our listeners who, who aren't familiar with it, could you give a, give a description? Like, a, you know, how, how well, they so work? Like, yeah, I, I think they released, Microsoft did one for, uh, I think it was the release of Halo. I think the first one was done, again, they were sort of done for early you know, PC and video games. I think it was one called Bee's Nest. And so what it was, it was kind of like these cryptic clues were, were, were leaked online that, you know, draw people into certain parts of the internet or websites. Um, and then there's sort of like this ruse. So for instance, I think if you went to, it was like, beekeeping or bees nest or something.com and and the website would look like it's jumbled mess like it's been hacked and within the sort of hacking text there's some directions to um you know like some uh, uh latitude longitude coordinations yeah. uh, coordinates so that people would go there and then at a certain time it was like they'd find out that it was a telephone box and then that telephone box would ring at a very particular time with like some code to go to another site and it's there's all this sort of big ruse to get people hyped and talking about the re imminent release of a new video game but playing it out in real life um through clues and and you know having to go to places and, and see. a bit like um a bit like pokemon go but kind of on steroids and far more interesting like a, like a mix between a detective novel and pokemon go where you got to get out in the real world but you've got like digital clues and it all just culminates in a big video game release uh, right. or, or, or a, a giant Netflix documentary release, uh, which I believe is happening right now. So, you know, <laughs> I remember, um, I remember Bing, uh, the search engine that nobody uses. Um, <laughs> they did a very, they, they're all, their main like claim to fame, their main man, you know, getting in the public eye was a very successful marketing campaign where they did something similar where they had all these, it was uh, with the release of Jay-Z's biography. And they had riddles and clues to it where you'd need to go to places in real life and you would find these quirks. Like, um, you know, if you bought burritos from a certain place, it would actually have prints of the text on the foil, you know, like excerpts. <laughs> would give you a clue to go to the next thing and stuff. Um, and yeah, the, all, that kind of, all that kind of thing. But yeah, <clears throat> alternative reality games. I mean, the you know where you're interacting with people in real life, but they're role playing. So they're role playing as like an average person. They're just not. They're not trying to be like a superhero or anything. They're role playing as an average bloke who is just in a different reality. Seems pretty interesting. Um, would you want to play something like that if you knew that one of these games is going on? Would you want to interact yeah. with that? 
what well, well, so, so this is sort of the rabbit hole I found myself down. It was I was thinking about, you know, is like, I know we people talk about gaming. I know, I've been looking at gaming a lot in the last few weeks. It's just, it's an industry that is red hot at the moment. And so like even just so yesterday, right? Um, Amazon uh, had their annual kind of hardware event where they released all their new, you know, Echo and uh, Alexa enabled devices. And they've got a little home drone cam that, uh, that when a burglar breaks in a little home. Oh, oh, there you go. So Alexa's speaking to me now, weirdly, Um, but (laughs) a little home drone will release and fly around your house um when uh when someone tries to break into it. so all this new stuff that amazon released one of the other things they released was uh a new online game streaming service called luna and an amazon enabled uh remote control uh, game controller so that you know amazon's getting into game streaming now which i found really interesting so the gaming sector is like crazy red hot but i'm wondering where it goes right because you saw, you know, we saw the success of Pokemon Go and these um, augmented reality style games. And I even recently saw something about an augmented reality Mario Kart where you can sort of race Mario Karts around uh, effectively obstacles in your house. Um, oh, not and on so the thinking, That would be a great one for driving, mate. Well, have you seen in Japan where you can actually dress up as Mario Kart characters and drive around the streets of Japan in go-karts? Yeah, our colleague Nikolai has actually gone and done it. Oh, has he now? <laughs> pretty wild, pretty wild. That looks but like fun. So um, that's like an alternate, alternative reality game. Yeah, yeah. The thing with that, like, I'm still, I'm still slightly skeptical for me. I mean, there have been a lot of attempts at AR games before. Pokemon Go, it was, I, you know, I'm, I'm quite, I'm generally sort of a bit cynical. It was, it, it blew up and then it just faded away really quickly. Like in six months after, you know, and it was the same with the stock price, right, for Nintendo after it happened. So everyone was like, oh my God, this is a massive phenomenon. Really cool. Nintendo stock price blew up. You could see people all over the place who were looking for Pokemons or Pokemon. I don't, know, I don't even know what the plural is. Probably just Pokemon, right? Yeah. Um, and you could see them on the street and you know, in the middle of the night. I remember going to a pub and, you know, my friend just pointed out that there was a guy who had, it was who had his bike. He had cycled there and was just standing on the road on his bike trying to get Pokemon. And it was like <laughs> eleven at night. And it was like, mate, you should be at the pub with other people, not not uh, mining Pokemon. But then everyone everyone just vanished, right? So I don't think that I wonder whether or not Pokemon Go really proved that AR games are what people want to do or not. You know, mm. I well, think you're right. It, it's it, I think it comes down to the kind of game, like. Mm. yeah it's it's a tricky one i think it's a puzzle style you know arg and augmented reality games probably do come there probably isn't it probably is a niche there to be to be capitalized on where you do go out and you find clues you know a, a somewhat of a detective style game that you can utilize your smartphone for an augmented reality Whereas, you know, you're probably not going to go out and play Street Fighter literally in the street um, as an augmented reality game, as cool as that might actually be. Um, so, uh, yeah, you're right. But, but, but uh, that's been gaming forever, right? There's always been little niches and, and people trying to push the envelope. You know, there was Nintendo 
in the early days, you know, really tried with the, 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 the power glove and, and Rob, the little robot, and there are all these, you know, the VR headsets, you know, in the 90s. I mean, that VR is nothing new. Um, but it's all about, I guess, content. Always has yeah. been about content for, for gaming, for streaming, uh, for, for any of those things. Like music, uh, TV, and gaming, it's all about the quality of the content which is, you know, that's why Netflix sort of had a lead when it came to, um, you know, TV. We call it TV streaming, but, you know, TV and movie streaming. But I think recently, because there's been just a, a flood of utter shit on Netflix, I find myself watching Amazon Prime more than Netflix now. You know, that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting observation. I, like, personally... Netflix content, I mean, they really do operate with this level of, you know, the corporate bond market is going to give us so much money really cheap. So <laughs> yeah. we're just going to borrow a huge amount of cash and we'll just throw it at any project. Yeah. And we'll just see if that works, right? And if it does work, we'll do more stuff like that. We'll just swarm what works. But we'll just take this, you know, shotgun. It's like blunderbuss. It you is know? literally oh. flicking shit at a wall. Well, I mean... <laughs> I was going for a more eloquent. <laughs> sound, you know, I guess we can go with that. I was going to do a whole like you know pirate flintlock thing, but no, no. But uh, it's just that you know we'll just through the scale of the money we've got, we'll just try and make everything. We'll see what people like. Yeah, and I I find it really hard to find stuff to watch on on net on Netflix yep. in general. Me too. But whenever I've gone on Amazon's uh, you know their TV their Prime TV service. Because yeah. their approach is just be, we'll buy what worked in the past. We'll let people watch it. You can watch mm. documentaries on there that were made like in the 80s. Um, yeah. if, and if you're interested in a subject, you know, you can, you can just, you can just search, put it in the search bar and you'll find it. Uh, and I found that, that to be much more rewarding. I, I've really enjoyed Amazon's, uh, well, maybe even more than I have Netflix. And I've not, you know, I've not really been on Amazon for too long. But in terms of the original content that Netflix comes up with, um, it is, it's more than just hit or miss. I mean, it's mostly miss. I mostly find, miss. Uh, yeah. When, if you compare it to, uh, you know, the, your traditional Hollywood production or, uh, your traditional, like, you know, mainstream TV production. Um, yeah. It's funny. One, There's something about the way that Netflix produce their movies as well. It's very specific. Make, it, it feels like, but it also feels like it's a very inferior product. It kind of feels like the stuff that Netflix is doing now is the stuff that used to just be called, you know, uh, straight to video. <laughs> never even, it's got even a really to... high budget, so it's got really high yeah. production values. Yeah, yeah, high production values. But it, it, it's, it's like they've employed all the writers that couldn't get a job in Hollywood. Yeah, and and have and and then are just literally throwing money to try and get big names onto a project as though a big name sells a movie, where they've really forgotten that quality of content is far superior than volume of content. I think, I think you're right. Amazon's gone down the other path where they're just like, well, you know what? We will have as big a back catalog of stuff that we possibly can. We'll try and make as much of it accessible and free. But at the same time, I think what Amazon do well that Netflix could probably learn a thing from and Disney had sort of going down the Amazon route with this as well is that they've got the options for you to buy stuff. So I find myself looking through Amazon for free stuff with Prime, but then I'll... You know, what was it the other day? So 
I, I, I showed my wife the new trailer for the Bill and Ted, the new Bill and Ted movie. Um, I can't remember what it's called, Bill and Ted something or other, which is supposed to be coming out at the movies. And then we were just sort of flicking through Amazon to see if Bill and, one of the Bill and Ted movies was there for free on Prime. Uh, which wasn't, and we didn't even bother with Netflix because it wasn't going to be on there because Netflix just don't have that kind of long back catalogue of, you know, great old movies. And then we found Bill and Ted and it wasn't for free. We had to pay for it, but we only had to pay like, it was like a a pound 99. And we're just like, what's a pound 99? So, you know, we paid for it and watched it and it was great. And I I, I feel like Amazon have got that, once you're in, prime once within the amazon ecosystem when it comes to streaming uh it's they're very sticky really Mm. keeps you really keeps you in there and and that's intentional on their part and i think again when it comes we sort of cycle back to this idea of them releasing um game streaming as well with their own controller i think this is one of the biggest developments amazon's made probably since they launched prime as a service um, I think this move into online game streaming should shake the shit out of Microsoft and Sony because they, Amazon's got the scale, the money, uh, the reach and the stickiness of their, of their subscribers to make this a really big thing, I think. And I see, I'm, I'm also, of the, I was also of the view and I wrote this a few years ago that I thought Netflix was actually going to get into game streaming. Um, but it turns out that they haven't. It's been Amazon now. And I think, I also suspect that Spotify is looking into new avenues as well, because I think, so I saw again recently, Spotify is now doing things like live polls within podcasts or polling within podcasts. So that, you know, if someone's uh, listening to this on their phone and you and I wanted to do a poll, like, you know, is Trevor Milton going to jail? That could pop up within the podcast. Actually, I should, we should, I should see if I can figure this out and actually do this yeah, <laughs> and we can fine. run a poll for like our six listens. No, there's, I know there's more than that. Um, so it's interesting that Spotify, Netflix, Amazon, uh, Disney, Apple, you know, the big, big kahunas of tech are now looking to diversify their business models away from what I guess their core thing has always been into, into new avenues like video podcasting for spotfly uh, for spotify gaming for amazon so people talk about them being overvalued and maybe some of them are but again with, with when you look at what they're actually doing as well and how they're developing i don't know i don't know maybe maybe they're not as as overvalued as we think yeah i mean we've we've discussed this a bit before haven't we with the uh, the status of those massive tech names uh, and yeah. I, I think it was in it was in our previous podcast in fact uh, you know I, I mentioned how i had be, you know i be, i'd become enamored with the idea that these companies are turning into reserve like assets for yeah. big institutional players because they're so liquid and at the same time the fact that i'm even entertaining this thought is a contrarian indicator that it's all about a collapse um <laughs> It's just, I, there's obviously a huge development there. I mean, these guys are, they're not only hoovering stuff up and they're buying up competition, they're buying up, yeah, they're buying up the, the industries that, are, that could grow up to rival them. But 
just that ownership of this digital space, easy access to capital. Yeah. It is, um, you know, it is hard to wonder how, what could actually really stop it. You know, what, is, what could really stop them? Because closing down the real economy clearly doesn't seem to have stopped them. So what is it going to be? I mean, is it going to be a cyber 9-11 event that could actually start to threaten these guys? Some kind of really, um, really, you know, unseen, unheard of, but incredibly disruptive virus or something like that. Well, I mean, that would have to be it. That, that would, it would have to be on that scale because, I mean, Amazon's AWS, their Amazon Web Services, accounts for something like 36, 37% of the cloud infrastructure market. Yeah, yeah total. Totally, yeah. Um, which would that you know that that shuts down the internet just about <laughs> if you take that out. Too big to fail. Possibly so, but but in in it, when we talk about that term, too big to fail, you know, it comes back to the sort of connotations that nothing's too big to fail. But what if what happens yeah, yeah. in a, in a situation where something literally is just too big to fail and just just cannot fail? Well, my usage there was, I was just implying that, you know, the, the, the government would try and help Amazon if that happened because... Well, the, the, the Amazon's the richer than the government. Yeah, well, it, well, it would depend, it needs to depend on what has actually happened, I think. Um, hmm. Yeah, I mean, imagine like, imagine if you got like a, you know, or if we go to a Hollywood movie style and, you know, some kind of EMP, some kind of satellite transmitted Ooh, thing EMP, managed to EMP. shut down... Uh, <laughs> shut down the internet or something over a certain period area for example i mean that would yeah that, that would do it you know got a maybe a solar flare you know, <laughs> just cuts out and we're all eating each other maybe then the stock would go down right yeah well speaking of things that go down and things that can't look up that segues us beautifully into the next beer that we need to be talking about and covering oh, off Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> and, and that's why usually the responsibility for these things rests on your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Burning Sky Farmhouse Lager. Now, yes. All right, do you want to rate this or me? All right, I'll, I'll, I'll kick this off. So I quite, I quite like that. I'd, I'd go so far to even throw that. And it is because it's 4.8%. So it's not, like, it's not like it's crazy heavy. But I enjoyed that as a lager. Um, it... Um, the tradional methods, I think, actually probably suit it quite well. And, um, you know, I, I, you'd all, you could almost, just to make things even more interesting for the um, whoever's doing the labels for Burning Skies Farmhouse Lager, um, you could throw the word session in there, I, I think. And you could at least have a couple of those in a session. Yeah, uh, sessionable. Definitely. Uh, look, I enjoyed that. Um, lagers are always tough because they're never going to rock your socks off. Um, but that didn't disappoint either. So that's what I would expect from a lager. It'd be a little bit more nice and crisp. And I'm going to give that a B plus for me. Hmm. Let's see. Hmm. Yeah, for me, this is going to be. Uh, I would agree that it's a uh, you know it's a lager, so I can't do anything crazy. It wasn't great because uh, it, it was just a lager ultimately, uh, but it was it was nice. So I will give it a B minus. A B minus from me. Um, now, Sam, can you tee up the uh, the next one we've got here about dogs so, not being able to yeah. look? I I chose this beer, and I chose this beer for a very very good reason. Is because on the label is a little pug, and it's a little pug dog uh, that's looking up, 
but the label says dogs can't look up uh, and it's a pale. It just says pale, um, which is a double dry hopped with mosaic BBC Motuka, Motuka? HBC 522 and Eldorado. Um, so yeah. And, and, and it's true. Big Al says so. Yeah. Well, Big Al also says dogs can't look up. Now I've got a pug and this is why I chose the beer because it looks a little bit, a little bit more like my dog Alonzo. And I, I'm looking around the office. He's usually on his bed next to me when I do these podcasts. And I'm just, I was trying to think to myself, um, have I ever seen Alonzo look up before? And he looks up at me all the, all the goddamn time. So I don't know where the idea of dogs can't look up comes from, but they absolutely yeah. can. Alonzo's always looking up at me basically with those big puppy dog puggy eyes saying, please give me some scraps please take me for a walk. Please take me to the park. Please stop the child from grabbing my tail. Um, so yeah, I, I, the, the label is a misnomer, but I'm looking forward to drinking this because um, nice and cloudy. Uh, definitely doesn't pass a see-through test. Almost looks like custard in the glass. Um, but I do like a, I do like a pale ale. Um, and so I'm looking forward to giving this one a shot. Have you, have you managed to have an early, early taste of this one? Yeah, I have. Uh, for some reason, I was very, very thirsty. So I actually uh, I went clean through the farmhouse lager and I'm about halfway through the uh, the dogs can't look up. So yes, this is a pale ale from Pomona Island. We have had Pomona Island before on this podcast. They do have good, uh, mm. good labels, generally speaking. Nice pastel colors. And yeah, this is 5.3%. Uh, so it's a little more, uh, a little more than the last one we had. But uh, yeah, I mean, this does not pass the see-through test at all. This is uh, very, very opaque indeed. We wouldn't be able to see anything through there, even if it was glowing in the dark, I don't think. So uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm expecting the, <laughs> the calorie count for this to be about you know, double or triple the last one we had. But no, it's, uh, it's quite interesting. Um, it is a pale ale, uh, so it does, and it does taste like a pale ale. It just tastes like a very strong, very sort of intense one. It's like uh, someone wanted... Someone loved pale ale so much, they wanted everything about a pale ale, apart from maybe the alcohol content, to be increased. Uh, so it tastes very paley. Uh, in terms of, um, yeah, in terms of going from here, dogs can't look up. I mean, where, where should we go next? So we're, uh, you've been talking about the, the video game market, uh, and we talked about Nicola and uh, Trevor Milton, now on the run from the cops uh, as part <laughs> of the Netflix production to create a good documentary um you know so actually it, yeah oh, no go no. ahead go ahead no no you um well i was gonna say so uh on the sort of topic of of, of of dogs and and i know so i've got a i've got a dog alonzo little pug and a ragdoll cat called lewis and um every now and then so when i'm i'm looking through the stocks uh on the stock market and i've got a, a sort of had a bit of a tilt recently to the uk markets one stock that keeps on coming back at me and keeps staring me in the face is pets at home because oh, yeah. I'm forever, I'm forever bloody going to pets for home and spending, you know, 40 quid in just in an instant, in the blink of an eye without even thinking about it. Right. And you know, one of those, it's one of those industries, right? The, the sort of, I guess, pet and animal care market. I don't know what you, what you sort of classify it as, but, it's it's a bit like it's a bit like the, the the 
market for children's stuff is that people don't even blink an eye when it comes to spending money on their pets. And at the moment, you know, with, I guess the, the world's economy is looking somewhat rather shaky, uh, imminent lockdowns or lockdowns in certain regions, people being able to go out or not go out or whatever. I, 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 I always keep thinking during these times, what are the kinds of stocks that I think that people should look at, I guess, is almost like a defensive play into if things get really bad. And, and so we saw through the sort of last lockdown, the stocks that did pretty well was, you know, supermarkets, right? And online deliveries, like Ocado's or Cato or however you guys pronounce it, whatever, um, you know, went through the roof. That, that's absolutely gone bonkers year to date. And the supermarkets have done pretty well. And I just wonder if, you know, you start to look at these sorts of <clears throat> opportunities and something like pets at home, where people come to spend money, even when things are tight, you don't stop feeding your pets. Um, people, some people care about their pets more than they care about their family members. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting, it's just an interesting market. You know, if you're thinking about like, where do you invest in, in the market when shit hits the fan? I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that? No, I uh, I definitely agree with that. It's it, and it's not something I'd I'd previously previously considered. But when you consider the uh, the number of people who who must feel lonely during lockdowns, I mean, let's be frank about it. With that too, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people. That what I'm I would imagine I've no I've no experience at all, but I imagine there is more demand to own a cat or a dog or uh, even a budgie or you know or anything really uh, to keep mm. you company. If you're in a lockdown, you're not allowed to socialize very much. I mean, I, I can I can definitely imagine there being a really strong demand for that. And of course, at the same time, pets come with huge, uh, well, huge relative to their, you know, relative to who they are. You know, they come with a lot of upkeep. And, uh, if you want to treat them, you know, as well as they should be, then you know they need to need to be taken care of, and that often means mm. going to the vet and things like that. So yeah, I mean, it does seem like uh, it does seem like uh, an a sector that would be positively influenced by. By the Wu flu, in terms of I've not looked at a chart of pets at home. I mean, what's uh, what's it looking like? I, I I haven't looked at it recently, but it was just something that sort of came to mind. Um, oh Jesus, uh, year to date, uh, it's like up. Uh, it's it's up like almost fifty percent year to date. Oh well, and, <laughs> the, the market has clearly appreciated this before we have. <laughs> so to be fair, so like literally, uh, uh, what day are we on now? Twenty fifth of September. Uh, about a week ago, I mean, it's 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 up about thirty percent from a week ago. I don't uh, I don't know why. I haven't honestly. I haven't even looked at it in the last sort of couple of weeks. I I, I first sort of started thinking about it around sort of april may um because back then you know when i was trying to get dog food um and cat food it, it was it was hard i couldn't get it online i couldn't get it even if you couldn't go you know you couldn't go to pets at home because it was shut uh you couldn't order them online there was a shortage of pet food it was really hard to get um and then it was expensive they weren't discounting and things like that and i was just sort of more recently thinking about Again, just this idea of if, if, if we all go into the same sort of really tight restrictions and I started seeing, you know, the articles have already started popping up about people um, like some of the supermarkets, I think, that started rationing toilet paper again and, and, and that kind of rubbish because um, people are just losing their mind. I mean, 
this maybe this is this is what sort of spurred pets at home into action it, it on on the 23rd of september so just a couple of days ago it just literally went from like three pounds to like three pounds 90 in in a couple of days so maybe there's something in that maybe or maybe we've missed the boat already on pets at home <laughs> Yeah, maybe uh, maybe an awful lot of people have bought pets in anticipation of uh, of more lockdowns because they want some more company. Yeah, I mean it's those these sorts of retail consumer retail stocks have actually been really good. Okay, yeah, they all took an absolute hiding in March, um, oh, yeah. just with, with the whole market. But most of them, like uh, Dunelm, that's that's trading higher than it was at the start of the year. Uh, pets at home is trading way higher than it was at the start of the year. Uh, what else we got here? Halfords is trading higher than it was at the start of the year. Um, I mean, these are, these are boring ass retail stocks. Um, and they're all just going bonkers. I know, you know, there's a couple that haven't done so good, I know. but yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird scenario that the world finds itself in now. And the UK is no different to anywhere else. But, uh, you know, I think you've got to, you've got to start looking at some of these sectors and trying to, you know, sort of flesh out what, what's a good defensive stock. What's, you know, one to, to sort of play on the rebound, you know, JD sports is not JD sports is about on par where it was. It's almost like the crash never happened there's there's a few ways i think defensive ways to play another lockdown and to play a little bit more of you know tight restriction and everything and it might just be of all things consumer retail one thing i saw that was interesting and maybe it merits its own podcast because we are running a bit late on time but it was the uh, you know when you're looking at a chart and now everything that's within this year pretty much everything goes down big time in march right i mean it's mm. like it very everything. hard to find uh many things that don't get affected by a sudden liquidity squeeze. Yeah. Um, but I was looking at the chart for whiskey futures, right? And this is a oh, very, yeah. this is a very small market. Yeah. There are not a huge number of players in, in, in the, in this market when it comes to the easily traded variants. So where it has been digitized to the point where you can trade these things yourself, uh, provided you have like i think the initial investment for whiskey futures is eight grand if you're using a uh, bullion vaults whiskey uh, site that they created very you know specifically for this purpose so if you're not in the actual whiskey industry and you're you're in the business of contracting with people who are putting this stuff in barrels you know the, the, it's, it's a small market there is not a huge amount of money in this space uh, but you know the whiskey that they are that they're making which is generally used for blends you know there is a big market for that uh and uh you know you can you can make an awful lot of money i think the annualized amount for whiskey futures uh going back quite a quite a long way is 10 percent so if you've got it and you've got the time to wait on it you know it's a good it's a good it's a good investment especially when you consider that cheap whiskey is something that does uh you know that sells very well during economic recessions you know if you're, yes. if you're bad right. times people want booze and they don't want to pay an awful lot for it. So if you're uh, if you're not one of these people wanting to go for, you know, these Japanese whiskies that have, uh, you know, that Japan doesn't make very many of because Japan decided to, uh, they made the the, the uh, mistake 
of expecting less whiskey demand in the future. And so there's a big scarcity issue now, you know, 10, 20 years on. Um, you know, these cheap blends are actually a pretty good, uh, are, you know, they, they, and they do sell, they sell in volume. But I was interested to see that there's a, there was a massive sharp downtick in this in March. Uh, and it's since recovered and it's, you know, it's higher than it was in March for, you know, your average whiskey, cheap whiskey blend, right? Or your, your average barrel of cheap whiskey blend. Uh, but I was thinking about that because in terms of the number of players in this market, that seemed to me like something that was, that, there, there was not a margin call issue here. There was not an issue with, um, you know, liability that suddenly needs to be met. Uh, it seems to me that this that movement must purely have been fear. It must have been people see it like needing money or wanting money just because they want to make sure they've got cash and they haven't lost an awful lot. And I thought that was quite interesting because even in even in a uh, even in an environment where whiskey, you know, during lockdown, there's going to be a lot of demand for people. You know, there was there were weak hands there that decide to sell, and it almost immediately you know bounded all the way up. But it wasn't uh, it wasn't an issue of market structure where there were leveraged players that were getting flushed out. This was yeah. simply people selling because they everything else was being sold, which I thought was quite interesting. You know, I, did, I, I haven't really looked at the whiskey markets, but I've had, I have had this conversation about whiskey uh, with my brother before, and it does seem like it's a fascinating, I'm, I'm just having a look at some of these. So I'm on Whiskey Invest Direct now looking at some of these charts and, and they've yeah, got all these. Bullion. Yeah, Bullion Vaults, yeah. Uh, their, their partner website where they said they effectively took what they were doing with Bullion and then they just applied it to whiskey. Um, like so I, I've... Yeah, it's it's funny. You, you, I, I, every chart I've pulled up so far of the different whiskies. There's malt whiskies. There's grain whiskies. There's you got refill, refill hogshead, refill bourbon. I mean, I don't know enough about it, and I'm sure you know a lot more. But you're right. All the charts show the same thing. This sort of increase in daily average deal price, a massive sort of bottoming out in March, and then that just bounced straight back. Yeah. So, well, like, what happened there? Who who was that? Like, yeah. What? Why? Why? Why did they do it? Because whiskey is something that you wait on. The whole point on the whiskey futures is that you know you can, of course, you get daily liquidity, but the point is that you're just sitting on this thing, waiting for it to appreciate. And yet, yeah. in March, that just completely goes out the window and stands. And it it, it, it looks like this. It's 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 it doesn't actually look like it's almost a a, a quite a defensive strategy, but sort of conservative strategy but you know the charts don't really lie on this either right no no i mean that's the idea i mean the reason you'd go for some like whiskey futures is as an alternative investment strategy yeah you know, that's you know outside from stock shares well stocks and bonds and, and everything else and yet uh clearly there was massive selling pressure in march i, I wonder what that was about um, yeah, I, I, I want to find out more about this actually, because now you've, you've really piqued my interest in this. <laughs> and I, so look, the other thing with whiskey as well is that you can still invest in whiskey companies. I know, uh, I know there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple of stocks in Australia. Um, there's a distillery that's, that's, that's quite recently listed a distillery in Tasmania of all places, a whiskey distillery in Tasmania that's oh, nice. recently listed on the Australian stock exchange. Or I think Tasman. it might have been around for a little while. Um, you know, apparently, good whiskey in Tasmania. I don't, who would have thunk it? 
Um, but it's, uh, I think it's worth about 50, I think it's market cap is about 50 million. Um, but you know, there's, there's, there's ways to invest in whiskey, which I, I quite like this idea of whiskey futures. Um, but you know, if, if, if it's a bit out of, you know, someone's reach or, or out of their understanding, there are still plenty of companies as well that if you wanted to invest in whiskey, which isn't, I don't think necessarily always the worst idea with, with those sorts of things. It's like, you know, fine wine or, or artwork in that sense is, you know, these are, I guess you'd call them alternative investments, but they're still an asset class because they, you know, if there's value attached to them over time and you can generate a return from that, um, you know, hooray, happy days. I mean, it's fine. Actually, you know what, speaking of um, the value of whiskey appreciating over time, did you see that story recently where the dad had been buying uh, uh, whiskey? I think, uh, I, can't, I can't remember what brand it was, but he bought a bottle of whiskey for his son uh, every year since his son was born until I think just recently his son turned 18 and he basically bequeathed all 18 bottles to his son and uh, his son is going to sell them all. Um, and, and, and the estimated value on them is like 50 grand. Yeah. He's going to buy a house with it or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah he's yeah. using it, using it for his deposit. Yeah. Pretty. Uh, yeah. I, I, I guess it must be quite a, quite a, feat of willpower to not open any of those and just hold on to them year after year i mean you've got every you've got every if you've got every year in a series i mean it's, it must be something very hard to break but for those who can do it i mean clearly it, it pays off right yeah i mean I've, I've thought about doing it for for my own son um i haven't thought about it with whiskey i i, I plan to buy him a uh so he was born in 2019 Plan to buy him a 2019 vintage um, Penfolds Grange, which is a bottle of red wine, very um, exclusive run, uh, very high quality Australian red wine. I had I bought myself a bottle from my birth year of 1983 some time ago, and I ended up drinking it. But they do retain their value and appreciate, obviously depending on the vintage and the the conditions of each year. But you know, in, investing in something like wine or whiskey. Uh, it's not the craziest idea and it, like physical gold or silver, you know, buying the actual physical asset can, can be a, not a bad idea as a sort of diversification strategy within a portfolio either. Yeah. Provided you know what you're doing, provided you have your True. own edge when it comes True. to it, then I, I wholeheartedly endorse it. It seems like a, it seems like a great strategy and the people who can do it and they can do it well, you know, they can make an awful lot of money doing it. Um, and of course, they can they can uh, they can drink the good stuff whenever they like. Ultimately, I mean, it, it pays dividends of, of a different variety. Uh, but of course, we have uh, we have reached the end of our we have. podcast. So, Sam, uh, uh, do you have any closing remarks before we uh, call this one off? No, I think it's, it's been a it's been a really good conversation today. Actually, we uh, you know we, we we don't we don't really talk about what we're going to talk about until we actually start talking about it. But uh, we covered a lot today, and dogs can look up. I'm just going to leave it with that. What was your rating, mate? Because we haven't done those. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I quite like this. Um, it's a good payout. And I, I kind of, I, I still subscribe to the idea that the, the, I think we're going to find the gem of a beer in an alcohol range somewhere between 9% and I think probably 5.5%. And, and, and I, th I think, you know, this isn't, this isn't going to top the, the rating scales. Uh, I did actually quite enjoy this. Um, I could drink a lot of these. It's quite smooth, very fruity, 
smell and taste to it, which I actually quite like in a pale ale. Uh, I'm going to give this a double B minus. Good Lord, Dan. I'm afraid you've got a bit of divergence on this one. It wasn't, um, yeah, I mean, it's all right. It uh, held its own, but nothing nothing crazy for me. So I'm going to give it an A, a, a individual A. Ooh. Yeah, so we've got, we've got that spread. The spread that's is... That's a spread. That's a spread developing. today. But that's all we have time for today, folks. So we shall be back again next week, all being well, because we do have a new stock of whiskey. There will be no more delays as, as we've had over the last week. But we'll be back again next week, so we shall see you then. In the meantime, hope you have a good weekend, and we'll be back next time.